The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. You may be seated. I got it. Thank you. Thank you. That's okay. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and would like to go to children's church, they're meeting in the back corner over there, walking out that way, and uh, they'll have an opportunity to study the same passage that we're studying. Aaron and I often share sermon notes. I won't tell you that hers are normally better than mine. Um... But we'd love to uh, have you join us. And if, if it's your kid's first time, if you'll go and check them in, it's helpful for us to know just so that we have everybody's names and numbers. So um, kindergarten through fifth grade, you can head on that way. We are continue, continuing our study of Mark. And Mark, uh, this is the first time Jesus is going to use parables and I know that you saw in there, there's some hard things to deal with, and we're going to deal with them specifically and carefully. But I just wanted you to see that. Uh, When I was in high school, uh, my girlfriend, my senior year, her dad lived in a different city, and he was also fluent in Spanish and English. And so he was coming into town to visit with her, and because my girlfriend, he wanted to meet me. Uh, and so 
I was in like Spanish four at this point. And so I was feeling pretty confident in my ability to roll with this guy who was fluent in Spanish. So I gave her a note to give to him in preparation for our meeting. And what I meant to say is, I cannot wait to meet you. And when she gave him the note, he burst into laughing, laughter because it said, I do not hope to meet you. Um, because I didn't uh, know the language. There was something lost. When Aaron and I went on a mission trip, uh, just not long after we got married, we went down to Juarez, Mexico, which is a place you can't go easily anymore. And we were doing like soccer and crafts and VBS style camps. And we were walking around telling the kids how much we loved their, their crafts. And Aaron thought we were saying, buenos ochos, buenos ochos. So she was walking to these kids and looking at their crafts and saying, good eights, good eights. Because um, she thought we were saying buenos ochos. We were saying bien hecho, good, good job, well done. And so she's looking at these sweet little kids and they're looking back at her like, she has no idea what she's doing here. <laughs> the point is, good eights, good eights. The point is, is that if you don't know the language, if you don't know the referent, you will miss the point of the story. And so when we look at a, a text like this, if you don't know the language and you don't know the referent, you'll miss the point of the story. And I don't want you to miss it. So let's pray and we'll ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit. This is a difficult text and I ask that you would illumine our eyes. We might see wonderful things about our Savior Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. My son's favorite baseball player, this is Knox and Cormac, their favorite baseball player is a guy named Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge stands at 6'7". He's a mountain of a man, and he's handsome, and he hits home runs, and he loves Jesus. So he's an easy hero for my kids to look up to. I try not to think about the fact that he's a Yankee, because that really starts to get me angry. But anyway, he is someone worth admiring, and he's become so famous because he's going to be one of the great sluggers of all time. He's young, and he just keeps hitting home runs. So Fallon, of course, gets Aaron Judge to do one of his bits, and the bit is, is that Aaron Judge is going to sit at a table in Central Park and ask New Yorkers what they think about Aaron Judge. And they've, they've um, put him in such a costume that all he is is putting on big, thick-rimmed glasses. And so New Yorkers will sit down with Aaron Judge, and Aaron Judge will say, hey, what do you think about this new slugger, Aaron Judge? And they're like, it's really great. It's fun. He's a good kid. He's a good kid. And they're like, hey, he's already got 13 home runs, says Aaron Judge. And he'll be like, yeah, yeah. How many do you think, how many do you think Aaron Judge is going to hit? And he'll be like, 30. And Aaron Judge looks at the camera and then looks at them. And it's like, 30? Maybe 60 or 70. And they look at him and go, nah, he's not that good. <laughs> at one point... They're still not picking up on the fact of who it is that they're talking to. Aaron Judge grabs a Sports Illustrated magazine and holds it up next to his face. And they're like, hey, some people think we kind of look like each other. And they're like, nah, I don't see it. 
So then he takes off his glasses and puts on his Yankees cap and then holds the magazine up and says, you know, maybe now you see the resemblance. And all of a sudden they freeze. And they realize they are talking to the rookie slugger, Aaron Judge, at 6-7. And it's glorious. The point of the whole bit is to reveal who the person is. And that's what's going on here in the text, is that the details is to point them to the person. The point of the story is the person. It's to reveal who he is and who he's not. Who he's after, who he's not. In the same way, we don't want to be staring at, at Jesus, who he really is, and miss it. Not recognize him because of the context. So we must listen. So let's look together on how to respond to Jesus. The first one is, are you listening? Look at 9 through 13 with me. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around with him, with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? It's a very difficult saying of Jesus, lest they be forgiven. And we're going to deal with it in just a minute. I don't want you to think I'm dodging it. But first of all, he who has ears, let him hear. Are you listening? The encouraging thing is that these are his 12 disciples and they will follow him around for three years and they have no idea what he's talking about. So if you're starting to follow Jesus or been doing it a long time and you're still not sure you understand, you're still not sure you see, you're still not sure you perceive, it's okay. His own disciples, he pulls them aside and he's like, you guys got that right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we totally got it. Just, just start again from the beginning, just in case. They don't get it. It takes a long time to follow Jesus, to see what he's up to, to begin to become like him. It takes time. He who has ears, let him hear. When Jesus is eventually carrying his cross and falls over because he's been tortured so badly, there's literally no one left there to carry his cross. If it takes you a long time, that's okay. That's the way that it goes. But I want you to see this part too. It's, and we've talked about this a lot in Mark, so I know some of you have heard this, but it's important that you hear it. It's possible to be around the message a lot and miss it. It's like there's people sitting in front of Aaron Judge and they have no idea who they're sitting in front of. It's possible to come here and sat, sit before Jesus, the King and the Savior, and to miss who it is that you're really dealing with. Now, the irony, of course, is he's explaining how to hear and listen versus how to miss it and not listen to a group of people who some are hearing and listening and some are hearing and not listening. But here's the point. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way. Parables make you ask the question, where do I stand with the kingdom of God? Parables make you ask the question, where do I stand 
with the kingdom of God? That's what you're supposed to ask. Where do I stand? Where do I stand? Parables don't have 10 points. They have one point. And ultimately, the point is, do you know where you stand with the people of God, the kingdom of God? There's all this different soil, but it's supposed to ask you, where do I stand? The prodigal son, it's supposed to ask you, where do I stand? You see, some of us, if we say, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Do you think you'll be in heaven someday? Most of us would be like, by the skin of our teeth, probably, because we believe in Jesus. But really the answer to that is for those who are trusting in Jesus, who those who see Jesus for who He really is and who He really is for you, the answer to that is you better believe I'm going to be in heaven because I deserve heaven. Because Jesus gave me all of His righteousness and He took all of my punishment. You better believe I'll be in heaven. I deserve it now. That's my Father in heaven. You see how just changing it just a little bit makes you rethink about how you've been processing these things. Are you listening to what the gospel really says? We're also supposed to see here that we adjust our expectations. So are you listening and do you adjust your expectations? We've talked about this too a lot in Mark. It's hard to be a disciple of Jesus. In the book of Mark, he's telling kind of the gospel from Peter's perspective. And the book of Mark is very hard on Peter. And the reason that Peter did that, instead of hiding all his embarrassing moments, we know about them because of Peter. Because he wanted people to understand it's hard to be a disciple and it's okay if you don't get it right at first or ongoingly. We were singing in seminary. We were at chapel and chapel and seminary is actually encouraging. You think it would be like, oh my goodness, we're here studying theology. We don't need another little side chapel. But it was actually this time for the people of God to gather. And one time we had this Christian music artist come and lead us. And it's supposed to be a really big deal. And I can't remember who it is because I don't really listen to Christian music. But it was a big deal at the time. And he's leading us through worship. And we are there, the men and women of the community. And we are pouring our hearts out, lifting our voices, crying some of us during the songs. And during, in between one of the songs, the worship leader stopped and goes, man, seminary must be hard because y'all are pouring your hearts out to God. And we all felt that. And seminary is hard academically, kind of, but it's mainly hard because God uses it to demolish the rest of your self-sufficiency so that when you go and lead God's people, you won't be doing so out of your own strength. You'll be doing so out of your own weakness. And so seminary is this like microwave of, of the Christian life where, God, things are hard there. And really, that's a picture of what the rest of faith and walking, following Jesus is like. It's hard. It's difficult. And if that's not your experience, if it's easy for you to follow Jesus then I would check your heart and make sure that it's Jesus that you're actually following. Anyone who follows Jesus, remember Jesus dies. 11 out of his 12 disciples die. Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, pick up your cross daily and follow me. It's supposed to be hard. So if you're struggling, remember, being a disciple of Jesus was always going to be hard. Stop expecting it to go away. 
there's this pastor mentor of mine. He's 49 years of Christian pastoral ministry before he retired. 49 years. I've been at this thing for 12. And when I first met him and I said, hey, you a pastor? And he said, yeah, I just retired. And I was like, how long were you a pastor? And he said, 49 years. I said, stop. How in the world did you make it that long? And without skipping a beat, he said, grace, only grace. In the same year that this man retired from ministry after 49 years, his wife was diagnosed with this devastating disease where she begins to forget all the people who know her and love her the most. And when I met with him to check on him and ask how he was doing, I said, Grady, I don't like your story. That you would follow Jesus and lead for 49 years and keep your marriage and your integrity intact and that your Christmas present for finishing those 49 years is that your wife gets diagnosed with this painful disease. I said, you should be laying on a beach somewhere. How is that fair? He looked up to me and said, Jared, Jesus is nearer and dearer to me than he's ever been. Why would I walk away now? You see... My comment, how is that fair? It betrays that even though I'd say I don't believe in the health and wealth gospel, it shows that I think kind of in the back of my head somewhere that if you follow Jesus, if you really try, if you really do it right, things ought to be getting easier. And this says, no. No, it's hard to be a disciple. So for you who are weary, press on. You're not strange because you're suffering. We're only strange because we think it's strange to suffer. Press on. These disciples will be transformed, but it'll take their whole life. So friends, are you listening? And have you adjusted your expectations? And then let's deal with this lest they be forgiven section really quick. You saw it in there. Verse 12, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Forgiven. Why would Jesus say, lest, as if it's bad news, that they turn and be forgiven? Why would he say that? Essentially, he's saying this. They have rejected me and my mission, and so I in turn reject them. Now before we start thinking about how that reflects upon Jesus' character, let's see what he means, that they have rejected him. If you go all the way back to Genesis, and when he's blessing Abraham, remember he says, I'm going to give you land and a name, and I'm going to bless you so that you might be a blessing. Meaning, I'm going to use this insignificant group of people that I'm choosing, not because there's so many or because they're so good, but because they're nobodies. And through these nobodies, I'm going to have them go and tell the furthest off people, the furthest off pagans about the God of Israel. I'm going to bless the world through this small, insignificant group of people. And then as you watch the Old Testament kind of unfurl, you see that these people either hoard up the blessings of being God's people and act as if they're so special, they get to be God's people and everybody else on the outside is insignificant, wrong. 
Or they want to be like the nations who are on the outside, and meaning the nations will never hear because instead of God's people inviting the nations in, God's people are becoming like the nations. And so throughout the Old Testament, the Israel, God's chosen people, chosen not because of their goodness, but because He chose them and He wanted nobodies, they are throughout the Bible not getting the message to the nations. Not telling the least and the little and the lost and the lonely about what our God is like. In fact, they keep pointing at themselves or pointing at the nations. And Jesus now says, it's enough. There are vulnerable pagans and people who are far off all over the world who will never hear because you didn't do what I asked you to do. Instead, you were too busy rejecting me over and over again. And so now, since you've rejected me, have it your way I reject you. That's what he's saying. That's why he's saying it to this Jewish leadership is because even then, they're pointing at themselves of how holy they are and how bad everyone else is. And what Jesus' people were to do is to point how unholy they were and how loved those who are on the outside should be. And so they flipped it and he says, they're not getting the message. You get what you want. Reject me. That's fine because I have rejected you. What he's saying is if you keep on rejecting God, your heart will get more calloused. You keep on saying, I'll get to God eventually. I'll, I'll, get, there ne- I'll get there soon enough. Maybe once I'm through my 20s, once I'm through college and I've had a good time, then I'll get to God. You may actually not be able to. Kent Hughes says it this way, when we reach a point where not only will not choose God, but cannot choose God because our hearts have gotten so hard. So, do you respond on Sunday, the teaching of God's word, as if it matters? As if it matters. It means that you come here and say, I'm not going to hear a good speech. I'm not here to make myself feel better or to make myself feel less bad. I am here to be transformed. And the Holy Spirit works through the preached Word of God. I am listening. Listening about how I can be a more gentle spouse or a gentle parent or a more obedient student. Listen how I can be more faithful at work and with my free time. Don't sit in the crowd like those who are watching Jesus and leave here unchanged. The Holy Spirit can change you in time from this moment. The problem is is that the modern evangelical devotion became prominent. And it matters more to you that you read your Bible each day or three times a week than it is how often you come to corporate worship. Well, those things are reversed. People for 1,500 years didn't have Bibles for a Devo. They had corporate worship. Do you come expectant in this place for God to set your heart on fire. That's what he wants to draw our attention to. So don't keep rejecting him. It's okay if you don't get it. The disciples don't get it. It takes them a long time. But keep asking. Keep being urgent. Keep keep getting near him and seeing what he'll do. And I want you too to appreciate the pace of what he's doing. The secret that he's telling the disciples 
He's telling them that the kingdom of God is going to be so flashy and so glittery and so beautiful that in fact he's going to use an agricultural metaphor. What he's trying to tell them is that the kingdom of God comes slowly. You can't watch a plant grow. You can't watch your own growth. If you feel like you were the same as you were a year ago, you're wrong. It's like when you go and see your grandparents and, they're, and you're little and they're like, oh my goodness, you've grown so much. And you're like, really? I kind of feel like I've been this way my whole life. It's imperceptible growth that he's working into your heart. The kingdom is unimpressive. Can you imagine what encouragement this would have been to the Christians in Rome who are reading this? They're persecuted. They're hiding in rooms to do house church. Their friends are dying and being killed hunted, and they keep surely hoping for some grand arrival to change everything, and Jesus goes, it's going to happen slowly. If it feels like you're losing, you're in the right place. That's what he's saying. Let's look quickly at these metaphors. In verse 15, it's this, the paths are beaten hard with traffic. It says this, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. You're not supposed to spread seed on the path. That's where the people walk. That's where the animals walk. That's the, the mud has gotten uh, pounded into being not soft. And so essentially he's saying busyness of life. We're too busy to follow Jesus. And so while we're not even paying attention because we're so caught up in other things, the devil just walks on by and steals the seed. Our busyness is not helping us. And then he points out a shallow heart, 16 and 17. And these are the ones who sown on rocky ground, the ones who hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. For these, it's saying, yes, yes, this God stuff is good. This Jesus stuff is good. I love it. I didn't know it was going to be this hard. It's like the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus excitedly, but when Jesus says, this is awesome, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me, he's like, ah, I think I'm going to put out some other applications. You're helped by the gospel, you're encouraged by it, but then you start to suffer and think, I didn't sign on for this. Be careful when you're suffering, you'll hear the devil whisper in your ear, is this really all that worth it? but we're supposed to keep believing and keep moving forward even when we lose. My four-year-old twins, when they were still inside mommy's tummy, they, one of them had a two-vessel cord. And a two-vessel cord, you're supposed to have three vessels to your cord. And I don't know why, but you're supposed to have three vessels to your cord. And instead, one of my twins had two vessels to his cord, and they pointed this out to us at about the three-month mark and said, but we'll never know anything until nine months arrives and the babies are here. I'm like, well, thank you for telling us. Now we can panic for the next six months. But essentially, it could have had very serious problems sometimes with these two cord babies. And it was like, we were going to love whoever came. We were going to love whoever arrived. We sort of just held our breath. 
and said, we're going to love, but we know it's going to be difficult. There's sort of that posture that we're going to move forward and this is going to be difficult. That's the sense that we're supposed to be walking with. Now, our twins arrived and the two-vessel cord didn't mess with Connor at all. He's very healthy and very difficult. (laughs) So we hold our breath and we keep moving forward because we're not going to give up. You were called to suffer. And then there's this divided heart, verses 18 and 19. And there are other there, others, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulnesses of riches and the desires for other things. Some of us are like this. We're so preoccupied with our reputation and with business and with beauty. We just don't have time to care. We want to care. We just don't have time to care. He's saying, you've got to stoke in your heart a desire to care about this more than you care about anything else. One of the ways that you show that you care is to fight your sin. Now, when you fight your sin, you're going to lose. In fact, you're going to lose more than it feels like you win. So don't hear me say, okay, here's the point. Now we've got grace and now we've got to go and win all our temptation battles. You're gonna, it's going to feel like you lose more than you win, for sure. But you've still got to keep trying. You've got to keep standing back up and asking for grace and asking for God to move in your life. You just can't go neutral. You can't go passive. You have to be active even though you fail. It's dangerous to go neutral because then it's the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for everything. John Owen once said, be killing sin or it will surely be killing you. Now up to this point, you might be tempted to think, I'm way more like the bad soil. This is not good news. None of this makes sense to me. Be encouraged. The disciples don't get it either. The week that they walk into Jerusalem for him to be killed, the same week, James and John will be like, hey man, when you get to heaven... We like good seats. It takes a long time. The disciples don't get it either, but they kept listening and they kept following. You may not get it all right now, but keep listening and keep following. And then you see the seeds fall into the good soil and they yield a crop 30, 60, 100 fold. What we're supposed to understand is the kingdom comes to the soft-hearted and humble, ones who know they need to listen. The Pharisees have refused to listen. And these mess-ups are listening and don't understand, but trying to understand, trying to ask questions, and the Pharisees are over here saying, I don't need to listen. When you are presented with the gospel, is your posture, I don't need this, I've got my own system, or man, do I need to hear this? So we listen. How do you listen attentively? I've had two experiences in the escape room. Have you guys done the escape rooms? One time we saved the world and one time everybody died. The time that everybody died, we're like, uh, they're like, would you guys like a clue? And we're like, no, we're educated adults. We do not want a clue. And then the whole world blew up. The second time I went to the escape room, they're like, would you like a clue? And I'm like, yep, and keep them coming. 
Yep, yep. Oh, it's right over there? Okay, yeah. And what am I supposed yep. What am I supposed to do with that? Okay, got it, got it. And we saved the whole world. <laughs> Don't, in your pride, not ask for clarity, for wisdom, for understanding, because you've got your own system. Instead, be like us and beg God for nearness and clues and perception and understanding because that's going to go well for you. Adjust your expectations. It's going to go slow. And it's going to be difficult. And it's going to take your whole life. But believe you me, it will be worth it. It is worth it. And worry more about who you are than your character, than your gifts. Who you are, your character, than your gifts. So are you listening? Do you have adjusted expectation? Are you following even when you're not sure you understand? We'll close here. Today is Halloween. Or for the nerds in the room, it's Reformation Day. Yes. Thank you. I'm kidding. I'm one of those nerds. But in our neighborhood in Fairland, Georgia, you can walk down Marvin Lane and there's this special thing called the giant pumpkin. And the giant pumpkin, you walk up with your kids in their costumes celebrating Halloween. You walk up and the giant pumpkin magically says to you, I see you, Knox Huffman. I see that you're dressed like Cristiano Ronaldo. And the kids are blown away. They're like, what is happening? How does that person know the time that I was going to walk up and know without me telling him what my costume was going to be? And it's just this huge pumpkin that sits on someone's roof and it tells all the kids their names and their costumes. And it's magical. And last year, Knox said to me, Dad, I've got to know, how does he know who I am? How does he know what I'm going to be wearing? It's a big, giant, blow-up pumpkin. How can it talk? How can he know who I am? How can I know? And I say, Knox, you know, it's not, it's not time for you to know that now. Just enjoy the mystery of it. I'm not going to tell you how the magical pumpkin knows your name and your costume. Dad, I need to know, and I need to know now. I'm not going to go to the magical pumpkin unless you tell me how he knows who I am. There is this urgency of saying, I want to know how it works. I want to know how he knows me. That's what Mark is saying to you through Jesus' parables. Do you have an urgency? Are you saying, I need to know how he knows me? Or is it just drifting to the background? Are you listening? Let's pray. Father, for those in the room who feel so far off, would you remind them that all the fitness you require is that they feel their need of you? Would you help them to see and hear and perceive and understand? For those of us who know better, but are instead acting like the Pharisees, hoarding the privileges of the Gospels to ourselves, instead of carrying it to those who don't know, we confess that to you and we ask that you would cause us to be a people who we look for the worst person that we know because that's exactly who we think Jesus is after. God, would you make it so in this church? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
those who don't know, we confess that to you and we ask that you would cause us to be a people who we look for the worst person that we know because that's exactly who we think Jesus is after. God, would you make it so in this church? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.